On this episode of Tamarindo, we are going to learn about the importance of building power to fight for reproductive justice and healthcare access. We'll check in with the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice and meet their new executive director, Guadalupe Lupe M. Rodriguez. This is Tamarindo Podcast. I'm Brenda Gonzalez. And I'm Ana Sheila Victorino. This is the Latinx Podcast where we discuss politics, pop culture, and how to balance it all con calma. Welcome to the show. Buenos dias o buenas tardes, Tamarindo listeners from wherever you're listening to us since we are an international podcast based, Hi, on, uh, hola, based on the data. <laughs> hola, amigis. Brenda, ¿cómo estás? I'm so happy to, to be with you, see you. <laughs> yes, I'm excited that we're actually not seeing each other through the Zoom screen. We are in the flesh talking to each other because uh, Ana Sheila's visiting right now. We're doing this podcast safely from uh, our studio, which is my bedroom. <laughs> yes, don't worry, y'all. I'm COVID negative as well. <laughs> Pero ¿cómo has estado, Brenda? I'm doing okay. I mean, I think everyone has got a lot on their minds. I've been yeah. thinking a lot about the folks in Texas because they're on top of being incredibly impacted by COVID-19. They also are impacted by incompetent government and have their pipes bursting without power, freezing. It's just, that's been really weighing on me, but... Other than that, I'm very grateful to have this podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing uh, overall well. Like, you know, like you said, we've got so much going on and there's always poquito, poquito bueno, poquito not so bueno. But um, yeah, I'm staying, I'm staying grateful. Yeah. And I'm, my heart goes out to everybody in, in Texas and, and all over the Southeast también, no? Yeah. But um, yeah, I'll go right into my matraca. One thing I'm really focusing on is staying connected to my inner child. So I'm giving my matraca to that Like, what do you want to call that philosophy? Like, no sé qué sea eso, ¿verdad? Este, so I just recently moved in with my girlfriend. This is the first Ooh, time that we've lived matraca, together. Get the matraca. Here we go. A ver. Ay, no, no, mejor it's tú, hard, tú, 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 it's hard. You do it, you do it, you do it. It's actually difficult. <laughs> Yay, moving in to girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm really trying to t stay connected. And I say that because, you know, just thinking about this as like, playing like having that that sense of play because i think moving in and you know furnishing y todo eso it can be stressful a lot of new things come up but i'm trying to go into it with an energy of like we're sort of like playing we're building a home like you know como have a little bit more como a different kind of energy to it just seeing como the beauty of it and seeing of it a little bit as like as a playing and yeah. it. so that's kind of what I'm one of the hardest things that I find with moving in with a loved one is having to negotiate your space do you all align in aesthetics Or has that been like a, like what are you the, learning to align in I aesthetics? Like, what does it look like? Yes. Yes. We overall do. And I'm also giving Kim more power and I'm okay giving her more power. Like that's more important for her aesthetics, maybe more important to her than you like, or, or like, that you're that she, yeah, that she might feel strong, str more strongly and I'm I okay. And so yeah. yeah. And what's really cool is we have our own bathrooms now. Oh and my that. God. Another <laughs> matraca to that, dude. Uh, being able to have your own bathroom, game changer. Game it's, a, changer. it's amazing. <laughs> Pero yeah. So just, I know things can, so many things are difficult for so many of us, but really trying to still be able to find ways to, to play 
and see things como con ojitos de like wonder. And I think that's why sometimes when people have kids, they sort of feel like they have a new life in a way because they sort of see life like the way their kids do. And, and kids are seeing things for the first time. So just finding ways to como when you see the trees or a little tree or flowers or birds, not, not just taking them for granted, but trying to see just the miracle in them. So that's something that I'm really trying to um, embody more, embrace more. So that's Beautiful. my, yeah. Let's go back to you. Let's go back to you. So give me your, give me your basura. <laughs> okay. Well, I kind of sort of started to talk a little bit about it, but I would say, oh my gosh, this stuff writes itself. Is, by the time you hear this, is the memes have probably been multiplied, quadruplified. I don't even know if that's a word about Ted Cruz yeah. and just thinking that it's appropriate that when his, the folks that he represents are literally, literally dying to travel and go to a resort mm-hmm. and to then think he could get away with it and then have to turn his ass around. I love the fact that he had to throw, turn his ass around. So the basura goes to him. He is basura, basura in every way, shape or form. But I am very energized, validated, <laughs> overjoyed by the justice that happened by getting his ass on the plane ride right the fuck Mm -hmm. back and i know we're not gonna talk about this here in this podcast but one of these days i want to give the space necessary to the the feeling of pettiness because i fucking love being petty and i feel so overjoyed at the pettiness that i feel that his ass is back (laughs) so if you can relate if pettiness is a joy that motivates you that empowers you the way it fucking empowers me you are my people, everybody. Yes. I fucking and, love pettiness. And I, lo- and I love the the pettiness and how it manifests itself in your amazing tweets, posts, todo eso. And specifically, your your tw- I think it was a tweet. I hope he gets chorro, is yes, what you I said. Yes, and I spoke for us. I said, about- we hope he gets chorro, because <laughs> I, I knew it, you were feeling no, it too. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely loved it, and I'm so grateful that you would. I would also through that post, get credit as, as a we, even though that was definitely, you came up with that, but I thought it was amazing. And I wish he did stay long enough to get chorro. <laughs> like, you know, because I got chorro just oh, recently no. here, or recently in Mexico. Mexico chorro. <laughs> I got Mexican chorro and I wish Ted Cruz got that too. And I usually don't wish ill things on people, pero chale se lo merece. Like he deserves that shit. Like what were you thinking? Like what was he thinking? Not like at the, all. The, priv- wow. the privilege and like think about and I and I also saw like really great memes about how like the fact that he has the privilege to be able to take his his family to safety yeah, in Mexico. To, go, to cross the border, to, to, the go, border, to, safety. to go to safety. Wow, so. what an ass. What about you? Anyways. What's your basura? So my basura, I'm going to get philosophical, I don't know if philosophical, but I'm going to get deep. I'm putting the American dream in la basura. Double down. (laughs) But I want, I'm linking it specifically to the outrageous cost of higher education Mm -hmm. and the subsequent debt crisis that so many of us are experiencing and disproportionately impacting um, borrowers and communities of color. Yeah. So, you know, in the past you could, you know, oh, I just worked my way through college. You can't do that shit anymore. No se puede. Like that's impossible. So when people, old people mention that, like that's not actually possible, right? Like it's, we can't, it's hard for so many of us to really imagine a future where we're creating wealth and have actual financial freedom when we are so burdened by debt. And so I, you know, I know this is a complex issue and I'm not pretending like I know the right answer because obviously so many policymakers are trying to figure this out. But I do think that it's some kind of mix of like 
can we address the cost of higher education or are there different paths to careers that don't that where we don't have to enforce like people spending so much money on 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 going to college right so i think it's a mix of that, figuring that out some kind of loan forgiveness and you know looking at interest interest rates and and more doubling down on on more equitable payment plans for people in in different um, income brackets income perhaps brackets. thank you uh, yes excellent i dub, i agree with that basura the american dream and this this notion that you've only made it when you bought that house that none of us can afford right now none of right. Us can afford and and the fact that wages are not keeping up so They're not keeping up it's the ridiculous cost of, yeah. of, of going to school we so. will talk about this in depth because this is a, no no pun intended. This, this deserves. <laughs> we this don't know, we're not going to get in debt, but we're going to get in deep. I've always had a hard time saying that word. In, Porque somos in, mexicanos. It's all right. You, you know what word took me forever to say? I had to practice it. I was like 15, still trying to say the word decision. Apparently, I I thought I was saying it right, but sometimes my friends would correct me. And I don't I don't I don't understand. I would say I don't decision. Hear it. And it, like, donde. I need it anyways, and <laughs> it's okay. okay. And y'all, and if it's it's okay if you can't say decision, also like yeah. <laughs> But anyways, yeah, this definitely deserves a full episode and we will definitely be coming back to these, these topics. But yeah, that's, I was really been thinking about that because I know that it's something that, that policymakers are trying to figure out right now. Some people are putting more pressure on Biden to potentially forgive more debt. So there's a lot of talk about this right now. So I really wanted to mention this on our episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And if folks connect to that, I, I will take this opportunity to just announce something that we we now have an editorial section on our website. And it often we'll, put, we'll post something. So we actually did post something about student loan debt. And there was a lot of interaction on that post. If you ever have a, anything more um, of like a longer feeling or essay or thought, please contact us, contact at tamanidopodcast.com because we are now going to be publishing essays, points of views. We want to be publishing the voices of the Tamarindo community. So I'm going to go ahead and call right now. If, if the, the student loan debt issue is one that you have feelings about, reach out to us. We will publish your story. Yes. Okay. Pues now switching back. Brenda, ¿a qué quieres, quieres darle tu matraca? What are you giving your matraca to? Okay. Well, um, my matraca goes to the journalist Alicia Menendez, who you might know from her podcast, Latina to Latina. And then that podcast, Alisa talks to remarkable Latinas about making it, faking it, and everything in between. And she gets the matraca for writing The Likeability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed as You Are. In this book, um, Alicia masterly breaks down the real barriers and especially the barriers that women of color face and what we're up against, but also finds a way to leave readers empowered. Basically, like uh, the thesis is that basically shit is fucked up, so be who you are because it's already fucked up. Mm -hmm. And that's an oversimplification. But you all should definitely read this book. And uh, if you get your copy ASAP, and even if you don't get your copy, I think you're still, you'll still get a lot out of this conversation. We are actually going to be speaking to Alicia Menendez on March 23rd at 5.30 p.m. Want to tell them more? <laughs> yes, to mark Women's History Month, of course. Yes, so you can pick up your copy of The Likeability Trap at your local independent bookstore and join us. So that's March 23rd at 5.30 p.m. PST. You can find the registration link on our Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast. Was speaking of remarkable women, Brenda, who are you speaking to today? So today, today we're going to check in with the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice, also known as La the Latina Institute, which is a lot easier to say. Yes. The Latina <laughs> Institute. And we're speaking to uh, the Latina Inst Institute's new executive director, Guadalupe 
M. Rodriguez. She goes by Lupe. And Lupe is a scientist with an activist heart, a self-proclaimed disruptor with a passion for change. Lupe pivoted from a career in science to pursue social justice work in Mexico, Peru, and California. She's going to tell us more about the work of the Latina Institute and the important work that they do to provide necessary health care access to the most vulnerable. So we're going to talk a little bit about the fight for reproductive justice, but also how looking for access for reproductive care is actually some of, sometimes the first step to get other sorts of care and why it's so important to speak on behalf of the most vulnerable. So it's, it's really that. great. I can't wait to, for listeners to hear more and plus words of encouragement that she has for inspiring Latinx leaders. So let's hit it. Let's hear the interview. Lupe, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, Tamarindo, um, really, really excited to jump right into our conversation with you. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, um, I would love folks to know a little bit more about yourself and uh, the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice. What does that National Institute do? So at Latina Institute, we are a national organization that also has statewide chapters. And we work to build power in the Latina and Latinx communities to fight for reproductive justice. And you might be asking, like, what's reproductive justice? So what we work to do is that in reproductive justice, we fight so that our communities can unleash their own inner power, right? Thinking about how we all have inherent power in our community, and we really just want to ensure that folks have seats at the tables of power, that we break down, you know, narrowly held power structures that exist that have kept folks from being able to exercise in, in their rights. And ultimately we want to see in the world is is achieving salud, dignidad y justicia for, for our communities. And, and again, a big part of our work is around power building and making sure that, again, our communities are at the table, that we're heard and that our lived experiences are not just considered, but centered as we work to shape policy and, and, and shift the cultural narrative as well. That's great. Well, thank you. Everything you just described is totally aligned with Tamarindo and, and a lot of our listeners are, are, are very much connected to what Latina Institute does. Latina, National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice. That's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, but tell me a little bit about you and, uh, and your background and how it is that you, you came to land, um, at this wonderful role. Oh, it's been such a wonderful opportunity for me in, in my career and in, in kind of centering everything that I have kind of been building up to in my career uh, and in my life, frankly, actually, not just my career. And actually, I'll go back and say that we, we do call ourselves the Latina Institute for short. So so we can refer to it as that. Thank you. Much yeah. easier for me to yeah, say. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, what brought me to Latina Institute was really kind of goes back to my, my roots. Uh, I was born in Mexico City and I moved to California, to San Jose, California, specifically with my family when I was three. You know, we moved to the U.S. right after my brother, um, Javi, was diagnosed with a rare congenital disorder. And we came to the U.S. looking for healthcare access. And, you know, my mom's family was already living in the U.S. We were able to come to the U.S. because my dad uh, was part of a 
farm labor program. And when we decided we were going to be established in the U.S., there was a lot of advocate, advocating and fighting for access to health care that we had to do. So I think that kind of started me on my path toward advocacy. But I did, you know, take a slightly different path in my in my life. Actually, I'm trained in, as a scientist, and I wanted to work on issues like the disease that affected my brother. And a lot of the work that I did through uh, all the way through grad school really was wet lab research in a lab. But I always had this kind of calling toward justice work and toward advocacy in my career when I decided to make the change from science to advocacy and uh, to fighting for justice. I was really thinking about um, how important it is for communities to be able to have health justice, right? Like to have access to health care as a way to self-determination and liberation. And I think some of the work that we do at Latina Institute is, is directly aligned with that. It's, it's about seeing um, where the circumstances of people's lives in various ways in uh, immigration status and economic status in, you know, what neighborhoods they live affect their abilities to make choices for themselves and their families. I've kind of, I think, found my home at Latina Institute in a lot of the social justice movements that I've been working in. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I, I, Quickly, we'll share that. I think we have very similar stories mm-hmm. because my, I also came to the country from Puebla oh. when I was four, but my family came to the U.S. also because my brother had a muscular dystrophy. Um, and so I draw, I see a lot of parallels between your experience and, and mine. And I'm sure many of our listeners can, can relate to just the, the notion of, of access to healthcare. That's mm-hmm. truly what drove your family and it, it leads the work that you do. So I, I appreciate sharing you sharing that background with all of us. Now, I, I'd like to talk a little bit more about reproductive justice, kind of zero in Mm -hmm. on that. And I I think um, I'd love to know what are some insightful facts about Latinas when it comes to access to abortion? And and, and I think what might surprise people? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll say first that I think reproductive justice goes beyond abortion access. We really, in the reproductive justice movement, want to center that abortion access is just one of the ways in which individuals and communities can have self-determination. But for us specifically, in our focus around Latinas, and and yes, in advocacy on, on specific issues, and one of them being abortion access, we have found that there's a lot of misconceptions about where our communities stand on abortion access. Most people actually don't know that, um, there, and there's been several studies that have determined this, that nearly nine out of 10 Latino voters, about 87%, say they would give support to a loved one who had abortion, who had an abortion. And according to a recent poll, so, so it, a 2018 Perry Undam Latino poll that was specifically on views on reproductive health and abortion, one in four respondents in that poll said that they had a close family member or friend who put up getting healthcare out of fear around immigration issues and that specifically, you know, some of the things that folks know that were kept from getting healthcare access around were abortion access. Um, so it's a very important healthcare access issue for a lot of our community members and, and, and folks have experience with it very closely in our community and are very affected by it. And then, you know, one of the things through which we examine the work that we do around abortion access is, as I said, about the intersection with immigration status for a lot of people that, you know, fear of deportation and family separation has a really, you know, huge chilling effect on our communities. And so much of access to health care, you know, it has been tied to that. So in some of the work that we're doing in, in reproductive justice is, is really focusing on that, really focusing on supporting as allies um, in the immigrant rights movement and, and 
and ensuring that everyone, regardless of immigration status, has access to health care, including abortion care. Just add one last thing that one of the things that's really important to know is that not just for Latinas and Latinx community members, but for many uh, women in our country, health care access to reproductive health care is the first entry point to um, health care in general. We know that that's, again, across the board, but, but definitely especially for our community members that don't have regular access to health care through like a primary care doctor, through other kinds of health insurance access. So, um, so I think that that's another important point. That, that's fascinating. And, and let me make sure I understand that. So, so you're saying that when a, a person might need to access reproductive care, Many times that is the first step for them to have any sort of medical care. Is that, is that, am I understanding that yes, correctly? Yes, that's exactly right. That OBGYN appointments for reproductive health care are some of the only regular visits to the doctor or entry point for a range of preventative care that our community members have. And, and that can include things like, you know, that's the first time some folks get their blood pressure, pressure checked. Uh, the first time that folks get screened for breast and cervical cancer. Uh, the first time that folks get screened for, uh, diabetes or other kinds of conditions. And so it is one of those points, you know, of access to care where, where it's really important and imperative that people have, have that entry point. That's fascinating. I'm, I'm learning a lot right here. So that's really profound. So to, to recap for the, for the third time for our listeners, because I, this is really kind of sticking mm-hmm. with me, is that really access to reproductive care is life-saving care. Absolutely. Like it could really lead to the prevention of so much more um, preventable uh, and curable and, and treatable diseases and problems that our family, our community might be facing. Absolutely. Fascinating. I think that's, that's really great. Um, and so kind of underscores the important work mm-hmm. of well, the, the important work of Latina Institute. Okay. So, uh, right now, uh, we're, there's a new administration, which is a, a breath of fresh air for many of us. The previous administration was able to appoint three Supreme Court justices, including Amy Coney Barrett, who many in the reproductive justice community view as a threat to our rights. And I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about what is at stake right now in terms of legislative battles when it comes to reproductive care. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great point. And, you know, I'll say also that there is a recognition in the Latino community that going back to that poll that I mentioned, the 2018 Perry Undem poll um, on Latino voters' perceptions around reproductive health, our community, about 70% of voters said that they thought it was important that a new Supreme Court justice would uphold access to safety legal abortion care. So so it is a top of mind, not just for folks in the reproductive rights and reproductive health movements, but it's also really important for our community as well. That said, you know, one of the things that we understand at Latina Institute and in the reproductive justice movement is that the courts are not where this fight will be won. I think one of the things that we always think about is that, you know, when Roe versus Wade was decided in the 1970s, um, while it made abortion legal in the U.S., it really you know, kind of initiated just a new chapter for us in the fight for equity um, because it didn't actually guarantee access to care for us. It's become increasingly clear that um, that Roe versus Wade decision actually left a lot of our communities behind, the Latino community especially, because, you know, it didn't guarantee us access to the full range of reproductive health care, including abortion. We have found that through organizing and through the work that we're doing is, is where we're finding 
wins. Um, and, and that, of course, overarching access through the courts is important. We really find that in the um, advocacy and, and power building that we're doing in communities where we're going to win the fights around access. I think the other thing is that um, so many of our communities, including, you know, Latina and Latinx community, in the collaboration with the LGBTQ community, we've been mobilizing for years around reproductive justice and we have been fighting the battle sort of at the local level as well to shape legislation and to hold elected officials accountable and really, again, approaching the issue there. So I think overall, our perspective is that there can be more than one approach here, um, right? That, that some folks who are con- going to continue working in the Supreme Court arena should continue doing that. And we'll, you know, do the work on the ground to change power structures, to support community and advocacy for themselves and, and to keep, you know, our elected officials accountable to to the communities that they're serving. Excellent. So there's multiple uh, ways to attack this issue and to preserve um, our rights. Where do you see a platform like ours, like the Tamarindo and, and other uh, Latinx empowerment platforms? How What role can we play? I think the role that we can play is in, you know, having conversations like this, right, and informing the community about uh, the different aspects and levels of intervention that can happen. I think folks sort of knowing that there are different frameworks for, you know, fighting for reproductive health care access, for fighting for, for justice for communities is really important first step. I think, you know, listeners um, should know that in addition to paying attention to what's happening at the legislative level, paying attention to what's happening to the courts, it's also important to see what's happening in our own communities and, and getting involved, um, you know, joining, joining your local advocacy and power building groups, um, looking at, um, I know specifically in California, we have California Latinas for Reproductive Justice that are doing work there. Of course, the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice is doing work nationally and, and around the country. Um, so really kind of getting involved with us is, is a different way of, of connecting the dots around you know, how we get access for our communities, how we achieve justice and equity in, in access to this health care. I think there's there's various ways to intervene. And, 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 you know, being able to have this conversation with you is one of those steps in which the platform can support the movement. Wonderful. OK, we're going to take a really quick break. Don't feel like sitting in a waiting room right now? Plant Parenthood has got you covered as a leader in using new technologies to provide high-quality health care in ways that fit your life. Through Plant Parenthood's virtual appointments, you can get high-quality, affordable care your way by phone or video. Trusted providers will listen, give information, and support you in all of your health care decisions. Planned Parenthood's telehealth appointments are high-quality, affordable, and private, just like in-person visits. Whether you need help with birth control, a prescription refill, or other sexual or reproductive care services, skip the waiting room and get the care you need when you need it. Planned Parenthood takes the stress out of health care and is ready when you are. Check out PlannedParenthood.org forward slash Tamarindo to learn more and book a virtual appointment. That's PlannedParenthood.org forward slash Tamarindo. All right, so we're back and fantastic conversation so mm-hmm. far. I'd love to shift a little bit about this exciting role for you. So you're the executive director of the National Institute for Reproductive Justice, Latina Institute. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, we, we just heard your story, uh, which 
as I shared, I can connect with yeah. it. And I'm sure many of our listeners will find very relatable. So tell me, tell me, how's it been being the new executive director? And, and what's exciting for you about this work? You know, I think I mentioned at the outset that this is like my dream job. It's, it's, it's really where I think I found my home in the movements for reproductive rights, reproductive health and reproductive justice. It's really a connection of all of my experiences. So I didn't mention that I, I worked for Planned Parenthood before I joined Latina Institute. And I'm, I'm just really grateful to be able to move from, from that purview of work to work that I think is, is more, as I said, about investing in the power of community, uh, the power of organizing in community and the power of community to advocate. So that's been really cool. And, you know, I, um, I wasn't thinking of, of leaving my former organization, but when the opportunity to join Latina Institute came up, it really felt like a place where I could live in, in all the values that I hold and, and really kind of even center some of my own experiences as, as an immigrant, um, as a person whose family was undocumented for a period of time, as a person whose family was fighting constantly for access to healthcare and access to, uh, to resources in, in, in this country. And so I just, I feel like a lot of the experiences kind of melt together. So I can't say this enough that I think I found my home in, in the movement for, for justice. It's really exciting. Oh, I love that. Well, I'm so, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for us as Latinas <laughs> to have you in this role. Um, I think this is fantastic. And uh, as a Latina executive director, are there um, unique pressures that you're facing or have faced or, I mean, sounds like you, you, you have the perfect background. You understand the, the families that you're serving mm. firsthand. So I think that's, a, that's very powerful. Um, but as we know, a lot of, a lot of spaces are dominated still yeah. by, by people that don't look like us. So I'm curious, are there any unique pressures that you're feeling or that, that you have felt as a Latina executive director, as a Latina leader? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think the first step is, I think fighting against the, the maybe imposter syndrome that sometimes happens when you don't see people who look like you. So just as you said, not having um, other folks in, in positions of leadership necessarily or not as many um, as, as there should and, and, and could be. So I think that that's been one, one first challenge for me. And then the next is just really thinking about how the work that I'm doing will lead to lasting change and will lead you know, to our achievement of justice, right? Like, I think that that's the biggest pressure I'm feeling right now, that I want to ensure that my vision for the, for the work, my vision for this, this organization, my vision for our communities can be affected through my, my work here. So I think that that's, that's one thing. Um, and, and I think maybe bringing in again my story, like feeling the pressure of, you know, this is not just for me, it's for the community, it's for my family, it's for the larger community of, um, you know, not, not at all monolithic Latinos, um, but really that, that I'm fighting for in the, in the work that I'm doing and the leadership that I'm taking on for, for us. So. So I think that there, there's that. And, you know, one other thing I'll say is that being a, a Latina executive director also comes with the necessity to, to fight a little bit harder. I mean, I think a lot of the spaces, and especially in my particular field, like reproductive rights, reproductive health and reproductive justice, we work in alliance with really big organizations like Planned Parenthood and, and organizations that have a lot more power than, than we do as reproductive justice, you know, smaller organizations. And I think being able to hold your own in those spaces, being 
able to ensure that there's equitable uh, investment from um, like the philanthropic community, uh, ensuring that there's equal attention paid to, you know, the work that has to be done in, in reproductive justice. Again, the power building work, the work to get community power to advocate for themselves. All of that, I think, is, is another challenge of, of, of being in my particular sphere and maybe others in, in leadership positions like this can relate that really kind of uh, talking talking to the mainstream in your movement is is another big challenge of, of being a leader of an organization like this. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I'm sure there's probably nodding heads right now going, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> listening to this this particular experience. And wh- and for those nodding heads, uh, what are what are um, what would be like one piece of advice that you would share for someone that's listening that's maybe considering being an executive director? Oh, well, so many things. I think first of all is just to put yourself out there. I think that that sounds a little bit trite, but but really kind of, I mean, speaking again to this point I made earlier about imposter syndrome and and maybe um, not feeling like you have all it takes to get there. Trust me, like I, <laughs> I, I mean, not that anybody knows me, but trust me, I have felt that. And and just putting yourself out there is is the first step in in really kind of being able to step into leadership and doing it with confidence. I also think that my whole career, my whole life, really has been one of uh, modeling like what it means to be flexible, what it means to you know push yourself out of your comfort zone, and and really push yourself to learn and grow. Right? I never I never thought I would be leading the Latina Institute or or in the movement that I'm in um, when I first started my educational journey and you know my whole sort of thought around my career. But allowing myself to be open to, to possibilities allowing myself to be open to opportunities has been an incredible experience for the growth in my life. And I, I recommend that, that other aspiring leaders and executive directors and you know, leaders of other kinds really push themselves out of their comfort zones. I think the other thing that I'll say is um, another really important thing for me as a leader and, and that I encourage others to do in leadership is to make sure you bring folks to the table to spaces of power where decisions are being made when you get there. Um, really kind of opening those doors because, you know, getting there first and being <laughs> being the one there is, is not enough. I'm maybe misquoting this, but what uh, Vice President Kamala Harris said about, you know, you'll be the first, but you won't be the last. And I think that's, yes, that's a really important yes. thing. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, just being kind and treating people with respect is always um, one of the things that I've led with in my life and I think has, has allowed me this, the space and, and the community building practice to to be able to to do the work that I'm doing now. So, Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Well, you're very kind and generous with your time to give us all those great oh, nuggets yes. of positive advice. We're, like I said, we're grateful that you're in this role. You're who we want to be an advocate for us. So thank you and congratulations again. And uh, as a final note, just want to know where can folks find out a little bit more um, to get involved, to get connected? Uh, where can folks follow the uh, Latina Institute? Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah. So um, I encourage folks to go to our website, latinainstitute.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter where our handles are at Latina Institute and on Instagram actually as well at Latina Institute. So we're on uh, social platforms through there and, and our website as mentioned. So um, I hope folks will join us through that. Yes. And by the way, your, your social is very cool. <laughs> we often reshare your social media. So, and you know, that's part of the, part of the work, right? Is to call yes. people in and, and and you, you all do a really great job. Well, again, thank you so much, Lupe. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate this. And um, I look forward to hearing more from this. I love, I love this show. I love the podcast. Yay! So, 
so great to hear about the work of the Latina Institute and about Lupe Rodriguez. Thank you so much for doing the interview, Brenda. We're so happy she's exactly where she wants to be and doing such important work around reproductive justice and care. Yes, 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 yes. And you know, whenever we talk, we Tamarinda, whenever we talk about reproductive justice, that is when the trolls show up and it could be a real damper and puts us in a bad mood. It does. Este, but to get us in a positive mood and as our calma for today, we're actually going to end with some tunes that are instant mood enhancers for me and Brenda to, you know, maybe they enhance your mood or maybe they just inspire you to think about the music that really makes you happy instantly. And, and there's scientific data to back that music. Music can really can be a de-stressor, a mood enhancer. So whenever you are experiencing trolls because of the important work that you're doing or for any other reason, um, know that you can turn to music and just for that instant mood enhancer. So let's start with let's start with you, Brenda. What's a song that's an instant mood changer for you? Okay, so the song that I picked for this is... Sonora Dinamita, because I think anything that they play is definitely an immediate mood enhancer. And I think the song that I want to share with all of you is a little bit of uh, their song, Escándalo. Escándalo. Let's hear it. Escándalo. Escándalo. Es un escándalo. Escándalo. Es un escándalo. Okay, that was fun. How about you, Anna Shayla? What is a, a, a tune that always changes your mood? So for me, I'm going to choose La Bicicleta, and it's by Carlos Vives and Shakira. And Carlos Vives forever and ever has always made me, like his energy has always felt so happy to me. Like I just hear his voice and I'm like, oh my God. And this song, no sé, something about this song, it just gives me so much joy. It so, go, goes back to that play, playfulness that I was speaking about earlier. Like it's just so joyful and playful. And I, even the video is so playful and beautiful. And I actually had a chance to see Carlos Vives um, at the Hollywood Bowl and outdoor a concert venue in in person and it was one of the happiest most awesome moments because just imagine like thousands of people listening to Carlos Vives outside like one of the best concerts ever it just gave me so much joy and so like it always it always does that for me that song and also Colombian Spanish I love Colombian and I know they already think this but oh, I love Colombian Spanish it's just so joyful and Colombians in, in general are just so joyful they really I just are. think of colors and rainbows yeah, and joy and like dancing like <laughs> dancing they just dance they'll dance anywhere but that's so yeah, shout, out to, to shout out to Colombians and Colombian Spanish yeah, to Colombians. Your, Colum your Spanish is beautiful and it makes me happy so thank right. you let's hear la bicicleta let's hear it en una bici que me lleva a todos lados Un vallenato desesperado Una cartica que yo guardo donde te escribí Que te sueño y que te quiero tanto Oh my gosh, so much fun. Hopefully those songs put a smile on your face. Uh, anything we want to leave our listeners with? Is there another song or are you feeling good? I feel good. You got one more song that you want to... You wanna... I guess this, we'll be, I'll leave them with this. I'll send you oh, all yeah. off with this last one. First, we're going to say, uh, we hope to, that you keep listening to Tamarindo, write us a review, all that uh, all that good stuff. Save the date for the, our event that's coming up on March 23rd at 5.30. Keep up, with, keep up with us on the gram, all that good stuff. And pon tu suéter. And then what what closing messages do you have for our listeners before say, we play this te calmo ways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The Mexican is, se me está pegando from living in Mexico. Yes, okay. <laughs> so to send us off, we're going to play 
la vaca, <laughs> which I absolutely love. And I remember very fondly, my, my grandpa's still alive, but he, and he's 90. But, but you know, the folks are, he's the last one that I have left. And I uh, remember dancing with him to this song at a Christmas. And I'm sure every, every relative, everybody uh, listening is Lance with a relative to this song. To this song. <laughs> la vaca. <laughs> Here we go. Marino Podcast is independently produced by Ana Sheila Victorino and Brenda Gonzalez. Jeff DeVoe provides original music and sound engineering, and Michelle Andrade provides editing and production support. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and at Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. And if you like the show, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com. And welcome to I Am Besties. I'm Stephanie Ramirez. And I'm Vanessa Casares. We're two Latinas coming together to create a space for heart to heart chit chats on everything that matters. From relationship advice to empowering women, exploring spiritual insights and healing trauma, we've got it all covered. We're your go to besties, sharing personal stories and bringing on inspiring guests for an engaging and entertaining listening experience. I Am Besties, where you'll find laughter, love, and a supportive sisterhood. Join us and be a part of the family. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.